Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Um, just gone 11 minutes past two on this Wednesday afternoon, and we are going to be talking about upcoming events, things that you need to know about um, coming up in Judaism 101.9 today. Well, first and foremost on the agenda is the advent of one of the days that we face with a bit of trepidation, the awesome day of the 17th of Tammuz, which is almost upon us. In fact, this year, the 17th of Tammuz occurs on this coming Shabbat. So Friday night and Shabbat is the 17th of Tammuz. And the 17th of Tammuz, of course, is usually a fast day. It is one of the fasts that our sages um, um, instituted in order to remember the destructions of the temples that took place and all the calamities, the things that led up to them. And we're going to be discussing some of those calamities and what they actually mean for us today, as well as why it is that we actually commemorate this day as a fast day. However, this year, as in many years, this fast occurs, or the date of the 17th of Tammuz rather, occurs on Shabbat. Now, we're not allowed to fast on Shabbat except for Yom Kippur, which is one of the only occasions or the only occasion when fasting is permitted on Shabbos because Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shabbaton. Yom Kippur is a Shabbos in and of itself and therefore fasting on Yom Kippur is not a problem but it is the only time when a fast day actually is held on a Shabbat. So when all the other fasts if any of them were to coincide with a Shabbat any of them fall out on a Shabbat they are deferred. They're moved away, and particularly when it is um, uh, these two that we've got coming up now, three weeks apart from each other, the 17th of Tammuz, and at a later stage we will dis- uh, uh, describe, we'll talk about Tisha B'Av, the one that comes up three weeks later. These occur in this year on Shabbat. The dates coincide with Shabbat. When it comes to something of joy, such as if Purim, were to fall on a Shabbos, we're told that the festival is brought forward. We would read the Megillah and do um, all sorts of uh, wonderful things to celebrate. We are permitted, according to Torah law, although today it doesn't actually happen, but we're permitted and we're entitled to bring them forward. When it comes to days of sadness, days like the 17th of Tammuz or Tisha B'Av, we don't bring forward Sadness. We don't bring forward things that are sad. It would run against the grain of the joyousness and the joyfulness that is demanded of us when it comes to things Jewish. And therefore, when it comes to things of sadness, we pass through the date and then, reluctantly, we still have the fast day on the following day. So, yes, in fact, the fast is deferred. It is called a nidche. It is deferred from Shabbat to Sunday. And so the 17th of Tammuz, while it occurs on this coming Shabbat, we keep Shabbat exactly the same way as we always would keep Shabbat, with um, singing and with eating and with saying, you know, making Kiddush and having a bracha and enjoying our Shabbos meal and challah and cholent and all the wonderful things that go with it. And then on Sunday, we will commemorate the fast of the 17th, although it is already the 18th. Of Tammuz. But all the effects of the three weeks have already then kicked in. 
from the beginning of the 17th of Tammuz, from this coming Friday night, Shabbat, and that is that we are in then a period of semi-morning, and the morning then heightens with the nine days, um, about, a, about ten days later, and we go into this period called, otherwise known as the three weeks, or as it's known in the classics, Bain HaMetzarim. Uh, between the limitations and the limitations, of course, at the outer limits of uh, this three-week period are the 17th of Tammuz, which comes up at the beginning, the fast day, and this, the Tisha B'Av, which comes at the end, the fast day, which it too will be deferred. It will be commemorated on, in fact, the 10th of Av and not the 9th of Av, not on Tisha B'Av itself. Now, what is the 17th of Tammuz all about? Well, we're told that on the 17th of Tammuz, there were several calamities. In fact, five of them are enumerated. Five calamities, five terrible things that occurred over the history of the Jewish people on this fateful day, the 17th of Tammuz. First and foremost, the tablets of the law were broken when Moshe Rabbeinu descended from the mountain and beheld the Jewish people worshipping the golden calf, dancing around it, celebrating it, lauding it, praising it, saying this was the God that took us out of Egypt. And that was the 17th of Tammuz. A second calamity that occurred on this day was that the daily sacrifice, uh, sacrifices ceased in the time of the first temple. First temple uh, leading to the destruction of the first temple. The Kohanim could no longer find enough uh, sheep, animals for the daily offerings, and so it was actually on the 17th of Tammuz um, in the period leading up to the destruction of the first temple that the daily offerings ceased in the temple. When it came to the second temple, the walls of Yerushalayim were breached. Yes, the advancing Roman soldiers under the leadership of that famed um, terrible person called Titus Titus um, that all happened on the 17th of Tammuz. They broke into Yerushalayim, um, into Jerusalem, leading to the destruction of the Second Temple. There's a record of a character called Apostomus, Apostomus known as Apostomus the Wicked. That's the way he's referred to in the Talmud. He burned the Torah. He burned a copy of the Torah on this particular day. Um, and, of course, that was nothing short of a great calamity for the Jewish people. And finally, an idol was placed in the sanctuary at the time of the destruction of the temple as well. So these five calamities all occurred on the 17th of Tammuz throughout history. As I've often told you on this uh, particular um, uh, program, Judaism 101.9, there is so much in Judaism, particularly when it comes to these dates um, and significant dates, that we actually look back and see the foundation in the period of time when we were in the desert, when the Jewish people were in the desert from the time of our exodus from Egypt till the time that Joshua led us into Israel. There are so many things that happened while we were in the desert that actually came back not only to haunt us, but came back to be celebrated by us in um, the uh, days and the years and the decades and the centuries and uh, the eons of time that followed thereafter. And um, it is uh, no exception here as well. If we think about 
the real reason that most people know about the 17th of Tammuz is the breaching of the walls of Yerushalayim. The fact that um, Titus was uh, allowed his soldiers or his soldiers were ordered to march on Jerusalem and enter in um, through the broken walls and lead to the destruction of the temple, which they ultimately were after. That um, that is the one that we always that always sticks in our mind and is always foremost in the description of what the 17th of Tammuz is really all about. But it actually goes all the way back to a calamitous day when we were in the desert. When we were in the desert, exactly 40 days after we received the Torah, people were worshipping the golden calf. And Moshe Rabbeinu is ordered down the mountain. He beholds it. He sees it. He allows the tablets of stone to fall to the ground. And that happened on the 17th of Tammuz. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. Great to be with you this afternoon. And we are discussing the 17th of Tammuz. Yes, way back then when we're talking about times in the desert, a terrible calamity befell the Jewish people. And what had happened? Moshe Rabbeinu Moses had ascended the mountain, as we know, the day after the uh, time when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. So he left to go up the mountain the next day. But he had told the Jewish people that he would be leaving and that he would be back at a certain time after 40 days. Um, and when we think about the idea of that statement, well, we um, would probably, most of us, count it from the time of departure, that he would be gone for 40 days. However, the Jewish people were so believing and hung up at that stage on every single word that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses said, that um, there was a slight little room for an error in judgment, a slight little bit of room for a mistake to have been made. And of course, when we think about all the negative forces that come to play in the world and all the negative things that perhaps fill the heads and the minds and the hearts of people um, to do the wrong thing and to behave in an incorrect fashion from time to time. Our sages record the fact that on the day that they thought that he was to return, which was actually the day before his eventual return, in fact, it would have been on the 16th of Tammuz, on the 16th of Tammuz, they expected him back. And uh, when the time passed um, for his actual return, where he said that he was going to be back after the sixth hour um, that passed, it says that those who accuse against Israel and the uh, negative forces in the world filled their heads with all sorts of nonsense. And they came to the conclusion that Moshe, that Moses had in fact died on the mountain. He was not to return. He was gone. They had lost their leader who had never, ever in their uh, history, had told them something that hadn't come true. And therefore, the fact that he had said he would be back, and he wasn't actually back at the time that they calculated, this was interpreted by a certain group of the people as being a sign of the fact that he was gone. But now, a little bit of mayhem broke out in and amongst the Jewish people. There were those who um, were... Accustomed, I guess, from uh, the time that we spent in Egypt to idol worship. There were those who weren't so accustomed to it, and there were those who were really, really of the much more um, Jewish religious persuasion 
much more involved in godly things. And um, there were all sorts of factions and groups within the Jewish people. And in fact, one of the things that happened on that fateful day was the fact that the Jewish people were really fragmented and um, things kind of fell apart at a rapid pace. Eventually, they came to Aaron, they came to Aaron and they said, let's um, cast all our um, gold together and see what comes out of it. And we know that um, fate had it that a golden calf came out of all of this and it was set up. But even then, there were still those and particularly Aaron himself who believed that this was a sign from above, that this was going to be a, a way of worshipping God. They had seen and heard of and beheld all sorts of images of God sitting on a throne and uh, the bases of the throne having certain images upon them, one of them being a, a golden calf, one of them being a, a cow, an animal. And they felt, therefore, that this may have been, or some may have felt, that this was a way to replace Moshe, to get ourselves into a mindset whereby we could, through this mechanism, we could actually reach God, we could behold God, we could be involved with God in a much bigger way. And therefore, it is even recorded in Torah that Aaron says, Chag Lahashem Machar. Tomorrow we're going to have a festival for God, for God himself, even with this golden calf being there. Now, were they so far off? Well, we've got to think about that, um, because if we think about a golden image to us, it's absolute idol worship just thinking about it. And we know that um, images around the house and so on are uh, kind of taboo in uh, Judaism. We certainly don't have any such images um, within our places of worship, within our shuls, and with they weren't in, the, in, in in any other realm. But when it came to the Beit, Beit Hamikdash and when it came to the Mishkan and the Tabernacle, there were golden images. If we think about it, there were the golden images of the Kruvim of the cherubs, and that was something that God had ordained. He had ordained that there should be these uh, cherubs, these uh, life-like, uh, angelic-faced. Uh, children, um, a male and female, that were at the very, very center of the Jewish world, inside the Holy of Holies, standing on top of the Ark of the Covenant, we have uh, those golden images. So there was something in this image and this idea of a gold figure being somewhere there, but it came out all wrong. And the main thing that actually came out all wrong was the way that the Jewish people behaved. Now it stands to reason that not every Jew would have run to worship a golden calf. You think about the fact that um, Jews are not that easy to agree on that much. Um, we kind of uh, have our own opinions. We have our own views. Um, we um, are kind of uh, uh, argumentative from time to time. We are not afraid of taking an alternative kind of a view and a kind of an opinion when we're uh, talking to each other. And therefore... Um, it stands to reason that not all the Jews were ad idem, that they should become involved in this idol worship. It wasn't everyone who got involved. But the Jewish people were fragmented. There were those who did worship the idol. There were those who were kind of ambivalent about it. And then there were those who were extremely critical of those who went to worship the idol. And in fact, what we see with this idol was it brought out the worst in everybody. It brought out the worst in the people who actually went and worshipped the idol and were prepared after all of this time to say, this is the God that took us out of Egypt. After they had just witnessed, remember, 40 days before, they'd seen all the miracles at Mount Sinai, a little while before that, six weeks before that, 
they had seen the splitting of the Red Sea, and the week before that, they had seen the exodus from Egypt, and before that, they had seen all the plagues and uh, the wonders and miracles that took place in order to get us out of Egypt. This was a people who had beheld all of that. They'd actually seen godliness. They'd seen everything in such a vivid fashion, and they'd seen so many wonders and so many miracles and so many fantastic things, and they'd received the Torah, and that was what they were doing. They were thinking about it, and they were studying it, and they were learning it, and so on. And then to so easily be caught up in a distraction that can take place so quickly that they're worshipping idols. Well, there were those who went and did it, and there were those who were critical of those who went and did it. And there were all of these fragments, and the people behaved badly. There was no one or the people who were really uh, on the right side of everything didn't actually reach out and try and help and try and make amends and try and persuade the people who were going to worship the idols. There there was this uh, fragmentation of the Jewish people that took place on that particular day. And it's played out in an incredible fashion because it was on the next morning when the Jewish people, or some of them, were standing around and or dancing around this idol and saying, this is our God, that Moshe Rabbeinu is ordered by Hashem, by God, to descend. He comes down the mountain. He is steering down the Ten Commandments, which in fact are carried themselves, we're told, by the letters within them, those letters on beholding this image. And with Moshe Rabbeinu now kind of throwing up his hands in despair, um, they are allowed to fall to the ground, and they too become fragmented. They too become broken. The smashing of those ten tablets as they came crashing to the ground was what happened on the 17th of Tammuz. It represented fragmentation. It represented a discord, a disunity. It represented things literally falling apart, not only within the Jewish people, but the tablets of stone that were so precious and so valuable and so important um, that we were about to receive, and they were gone. And that all happened on the 17th of Tammuz, the anniversary of which is on this coming Shabbat. And the fast that was declared by our sages in order to commemorate this day in a later stage takes place on this coming Sunday, not on Saturday night. We start fasting in the morning at uh, before dawn and goes on until uh, nightfall on Sunday. And that is the first reason for the fast of the 17th of Tammuz. The second thing that uh, we really need to focus on is the idea once again of breaking stones. And when stones get broken, the stones that we're talking about being broken was the destruction um, of the walls of Jerusalem or the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem leading to the destruction of the second temple or the second Beit HaMikdash. This once again was something that brought and was a symptom of a total discord, a disunity, a uh, infighting, a fragmentation of our people. We're told that the temples were destroyed for a number of reasons. One of them was because of idol worship, and one of them was because of a sinat chinam. There was a hatred um, that um, had developed in and amongst the Jewish people. People weren't seeing eye to eye. And it wasn't just the people who were the baddies, who were the people who weren't involved, who were the Ill- irreligious ones. <clears throat> it was something that was endemic to everybody. In fact, 
there was discord and disunity and an arrogance and a uh, a nastiness that uh, was endemic to the entire Jewish people. And in fact, we are told that this was one of the reasons why God allowed the temples to be destroyed in the first place. But calamity it was, tragedy it was, terrible it was, and uh, really, really something that was uh, absolutely awful. It occurred on that particular day, um, which was the 17th of Tammuz in the time of the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. We're told some fascinating things about the fact that um, the Kohanim could not find any sheep um, animals to offer up. You know, um, there are many accounts of what actually happened um, with that. And uh, the fact that they didn't have these offerings. Remember that we uh, think of offerings in a temple and we don't really know what, what, what that actually means. But it was something that was absolutely essential to the performance of Judaism in those days. Um, without the offerings, there was literally no Judaism. Without the offerings, which weren't just sacrifices which were given away, they were mechanisms to bring us close. The word of an offering, a korban, is something that brings us close to the Almighty. This idea of connection with God was taken away from us. And the uh, time of uh, the taking away of that, those daily offerings um, that was suspended in the time of the first temple um, was um, something that was calamitous. What had happened was that um, and it's actually recorded, and it says that Rabbi Shimon said in the name of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi that in the days of the Greek king, the kingdom, they used to lower two baskets of gold, in return for which two sheep were sent up. Now, so, in fact, it was already rationed, and they would lower this gold in order to try and get the uh, marauding troops on the outside to uh, send them up uh, the animals. And what happened then was once... And they send out two baskets of gold and two kid goats. Kid goats may not be used for the daily offering, were sent up. And that hour, God lit up their eyes and they found two sheep. Rabbi Levi said that in the days of this wicked kingdom of Rome, they sent down two baskets of gold and in return for which sheep were sent up. Um, in the end, they sent down two baskets of gold and in return, they actually sent up two pigs. It says then that they did not manage to reach halfway up the wall before one of the pigs stuck its hooves into the wall, whereupon the pig was thrown the distance of 40 parsa, and that was the end of the offerings in the temple. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. One of the more obscure events that happened on this particular day, on the 17th of Tammuz, was that Apostomus burnt the Torah. Now, who was Apostomus, and what does it mean that Apostomus burnt the Torah? Well, interestingly enough, the Jerusalem Talmud only contains the following reference. It says, where did he burn it? Rabacha said, at the roadways of Lud. And the rabbis say, at the roadways of Tarusa. That's it. That's all that's mentioned. But there are later scholars who surmise that the event occurred during the time of the Roman procurator, Cominus, some 16 years before the great rebellion against the Romans. And they say that at that time, the Roman military forces engaged in harsh, prov harsh provocations against the Jews and their sanctities, and they plunged the country into a great tumult. And then Josephus Flavius gives the following account of that period. 
He says, after this calamity, some 10,000 men had been slain on the Temple Mount as a result of violence provoked by the Romans. New unrest erupted because of an act of robbery. On the royal road near Beit Choron, robbers befell the cortege of Stephanus, a royal official, and they thoroughly plundered it. Caminus sent an armed force to the nearby villages and ordered the arrest of their inhabitants, who were then to be brought before him. It was their sin that they had failed to pursue and capture the robbers. One of the soldiers seized a scroll of the Holy Torah in one of the villages. He tore it and cast it into the fire. And from all sides, Jews gathered in trembling, as if their entire land had been given to the flames. Upon hearing the first reports, they gathered in the spirit of great zeal for their sanctities, and they hastened to Caesarea, as with the speed of arrows, to appeal to Caminus. They demanded that he should not save from retribution the man who had so greatly blasphemed their God and their Torah. The procurator realized that the rage of the people would not subside till he would placate them, and he therefore ordered that the soldier be brought and hung on the gallows in the presence of his accusers, whereupon the Jews returned to their cities. Now, Beit Choron is on the road between Lud and Yerushalayim, which would correspond with the reference in the Jerusalem Talmud to the roadways of Lud. And according to conjecture, the event, event occurred on the 17th of Tammuz, a number of years before the destruction of the Second Temple. And the name Stephanus is actually a variant of Apostomus, and such variants of names were actually quite frequent. Others relate this event to Antiochus Epiphanus, of whom it is told, and the scrolls of the Torah, which they found, they tore and burnt in fire. Other conjectures have likewise been offered. Final point of what happened on the 17th of Tammuz was that an idol was placed in the sanctuary, and some hold that this was the same Apostomus who burnt the Torah, who placed an idol on the same day, on the 17th of Tammuz, in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple. Going back to Roman times, all of these calamities over this lengthy period of time occurring on the 17th of Tammuz. And thus, it is a day of great sadness, a day of great reflection. And every time that our sages declare that there should be a fast day, particularly when it comes to the uh, Beit HaMikdash, to the destructions of Jerusalem, as we know that they happened, (coughs) unfortunately, um, in the same period of time, over a period of 500 years apart, that these are meant to bring us to tshuva, to repentance, to a feeling of um, what it is that we've lost and what it is that we need to gain back, what it is that we're missing in our lives and what it is that we need to return to. And hopefully the fast on this coming Sunday will help us to do just that. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we have been discussing the 17th of Tammuz and, of course, coming up the fast on Sunday and what you actually practically need to do. Well, on Shabbat itself, which is actually the 17th of Tammuz, there are no differences, as we mentioned before. Shabbat is Shabbat. That is the way that it is, and that is the way that it is celebrated on this coming Shabbat. But Sunday, the day itself, begins early in the morning. Before it gets light, we need to already be fasting, and we fast through till nightfall on Sunday. And the fasting means simply that we're not allowed to eat or drink, and it should not be taken lightly. There are too many people, I think, today who have got 
kind of got into their heads and their minds that um, for any excuse, if you just don't feel like it or if uh, for whatever reason or uh, perhaps uh, that it's not something that's incumbent upon women as much as it is on men, etc., all sorts of uh, modern excuses that people find for not fasting, we should fast. We've got to remember that these fasts bring back into the depths of our souls what uh, the destruction of the temples actually meant to us. It is with great, great trepidation that we face these days, and we should take it seriously. We need to communicate the importance of it to our children. We need to set that kind of example as well. And therefore, a fast day on Sunday is something that is incumbent upon us. It is important for each and every one of us. Every man and woman over the age of bar and bat mitzvah should fast for the day on Sunday. It's not long. It's not difficult. Um, very often, many of us probably go for that period of time without eating or drinking anything anyway. Um, but um, somehow, when it comes to something that is ordained by our sages, we uh, seem to find it much more uh, taxing, much more difficult. It is cool weather here in Joburg. It is uh, uh, the fast will be out rather early probably in the region of 6 o'clock on um, Sunday evening um, and therefore it is something that we should do. There are no other restrictions for the day. Yes, you may bathe, you may shower, you may take a bath you can swim, you can do all sorts of other things except eat and drink um, there's no, inc- no, no instruction to sit low, there's no instruction about um, any of the other things that uh, pertain to uh, the uh, fast of Tisha B'Av on this one it is just about not eating and drinking. We do say certain um, extra things in our prayer service. Uh, the Torah is read. Um, certain uh, aliyot, or um, um, people are called up to the Torah, and uh, that's both in the morning um, as well as in the afternoon. Um, for Mincha where the Torah is read and we think about um, the fact that in the morning Slichot um, said penitential prayers and of course all of it designed to bring us into the realm into the mindset of how we are supposed to be and our mindset on a fast day so I want to wish you a great rest of the week a great Shabbat up ahead remember the fast day on Sunday and then we go into the period of three weeks three weeks of mourning from then on for the three weeks we are in a period of mourning, no simchas, we should not be listening to live music, no public entertainment, etc. But we'll chat about that when I meet up with you again next week on Judaism 101.9. Take care.